0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Musea Podcast. This is episode number 23 uh, featuring wedding photographer Jen Huang. But before we get to interview with Jen, uh there's a few things I uh, want to mention as usual. So the first thing is to give everybody an update on the Musea gathering. Uh, we, have up, uh, we have launched the crowdfunding campaign on Monday morning at 9 a.m., and uh, so far, we've had a great response. We've had a ton of chatter on Twitter, uh, and we've raised almost $5,000 towards making the um, museum gathering happen. And so, uh, as of today, we've got 43 days left. And so, I know that seems like a lot of time to get your ticket, but it's going to go really, really quick. Um, so, a couple of things we need to update you on is, um, number one, if you can, go ahead and buy your ticket now. Um, the reason that is is it helps people Anybody that's new to finding the campaign, uh, it just helps them see that um, people aren't just thinking about it. They are uh, committed to it 100%. And so the more uh, more people that get behind it, and uh, it just gains traction. Um, and so we really need to be um, at about 40% of our goal uh, in about uh, two weeks if we're going to have a real legitimate shot of making this happen. So... We're at about 2% right now, so we need to um, uh, yeah, just get a lot more going uh, over the next uh, two weeks. So, uh, If anybody has any questions or anything about the gathering uh, that you need answered before you buy your ticket, please just contact me directly and you can email me at michael at mymusea.com uh, and I'll be glad to help you um, answer any question that you possibly have. Um, point number two is we have Actually, lowered the workshop cost for Sam Blake and Dan O'Day's workshop, which I just uh, was the pa- podcast I did last time. Um, we can't lower any other one of anybody else's workshop. Um, we felt that we could maybe lower theirs by $500 and we would still be able to hit our goal, um, but we've set the prices um, for a very specific reason at, at what they're at. And so, um, and they're there just to help us uh, hopefully reach our funding goal. And so uh, we felt like we would lower theirs, um, and it wouldn't affect anything uh, in a major way. So if you're thinking of going to theirs, it just got $500 cheaper for you, which is awesome. Um, point number three is we've had some people contact, about, uh, contact me about hotel uh, situations. If you're thinking about coming, do not worry about booking a hotel right now. Uh, once, or I guess once or if, the gathering gets funded, then what we're going to do is we are going uh, to contact a lot of the hotels in downtown Nashville, and we're actually going to reserve um, rooms. And so we're gonna reserve just blocks of rooms, and so that just gives everybody a cheaper rate. Um, But A, we need the gathering to get funded first before we do that, uh, and B, once it does get funded, that'll help us uh, know kind of how many people are coming, and so we can kind of estimate on how many uh, rooms to reserve more accurately. Um, but anyway, we can get rooms for about 100 150 if we do that. Um, and if you split it with uh, up to like four people total, you know, three three people plus you, then you really like it $25 a night possibly um, for a nice hotel room. Um, point number four uh, is if you're thinking of coming but you are a little afraid because you don't have um, – a friend to come with and you don't have anybody to stay with and you want to bunk with some people to just to keep your costs down, then, um, I put a link on the Musea blog. Uh, we're going to try to connect people through the, uh, Musea Facebook group page. So you can, um, just click on that link and just ask to join. It's, it's an open group. Um, and we will, um, start connecting people so that people can share rooms, get to make new friends and, uh, helps lower your travel costs, which is awesome. Um, and then the last point about the gathering, uh, that we need is just to continue to help spread the word in any way you can. If you're on any sort of forum, Facebook group, uh, just continue to talk about it on, um, you know, Twitter social media, things like that. Um, the more people we can get, you know, the bigger this chance thing of actually happened is going to happen. So we really need about probably about 150 to 175 people to, um, buy either a ticket to the, uh, speaking portion or, uh, workshop. So we need to, we really need to get close to selling out the workshop. So, um, that will uh, help everything. Yeah. This whole gathering thing happen. So, uh, if you guys have any suggestions for us on things we need to be doing better, uh, or things that, um, any audiences that we're missing that we can reach, just let me know, just shoot me an email and we'll do it. I'm working hard and hopefully we'll make this thing happen. um, Another thing I wanted to mention real quick is if you like this podcast, we've got um, another podcast in Nashville uh, that is done by Mindy Thornton and, and Phil Thornton from Findy Studios and Jamie Clayton, another photographer in town, uh, is on that podcast as well. It's called Shoot to Kill, and their podcast is amazing. It's amazing. So if you if you love this podcast, please go check out their podcast. Also, you're going to learn a lot there. They do a ton of like. Your reviews and just um, kind of opinion pieces and lots of uh, interviews of other people. And they do a great, great, great job. Their production value is through the roof. So you can check them out by going to shoottokillpodcast.com and listen to them there. So, And that is it. So right now we are going to get into the interview with... Uh, jen huang she is going to be teaching a workshop actually at the Musea gathering and she's already sold four seats and she's got 11 uh, left so um, during this podcast we talk about uh, what makes a strong brand and how she balances being a hybrid shooter because she shoots film digital and how she structures her wedding package plus a host of other things so thank you so much for listening as always and i hope you enjoy our conversation
1: The first thing I just really wanted to ask you was what I asked pretty much everybody is just getting a you know, little bit more of your history, uh, photography, how you got in it, and you know, when, what your you know, first camera was, what your education is, and all that jazz.
2: Okay. Uh, well, I started shooting film. My first photograph was of a beluga whale at SeaWorld. Nice. It <laughs> was in the fourth grade. It was a beautiful portrait. I think I still have it somewhere. Um, And it was shot on a disposable, you know, Kodak disposable 35 millimeter camera. Um, And then from there, I, you know, continued my love of disposable cameras, took them (laughs) everywhere with me, um, and finally got a chance to, you know, start developing and shooting some real black and white film um, in middle school. Um, And that's when I really learned about what photography was, all of the basics, the ISO and the settings and the f-stops and things like that. Um, so that was middle school, um, had spent some time in the darkroom by then and, you know, was really into doing still lives. Um, and from there I continued my love of photography, um, shot on a lot of 35 millimeter, um, cameras belonging to my father and, um, studied photography all the way through college, um, with more film and more digital, uh, photojournalism. So it's always been a big part of my life. It's always been a passion and, and really a love, but, um, I never thought ever while I was growing up that I was going to be a photographer, um, that I would make my living from taking photos. It was always something I just loved to do. Um, and I am so grateful that that is what I do to make my living. Um, but after college, um, i that's when I found out, actually, that my father was a huge photographer, loved shooting medium format when he was younger, and had tons of medium format cameras that have since been lost. Um, <laughs> it was so depressing to me because, you know, there, he had so many different cameras, and he just put them all aside, and now no one knows where they are. So, oh, um, <laughs> I, I, wish, I wish I could have access to them, I would shoot them, but... Um, but yeah, so it's always been kind of, I've, I've been in an artistic family. Um, you know, they haven't necessarily chosen art as their career, but I've just been surrounded by it um, through their own passions and their own hobbies. Um, and then once I graduated from college, I still didn't think that I was going to be a photographer. I started working for De Beers, which is the D- diamond company. Um, hated that job and, you know, couldn't stand it, had nightmares about it. Did not understand why everyone, you know, left this amazing place called college and went to work nine to five every day for somebody else. Um, so I started shooting on the side, um, at paid jobs, events, weddings, things like that, and just started loving doing weddings. Um, and from there, you know, took all of the, uh, all the things that I'd learned from art and applied it to, uh, my career.
1: So where did you go to college?
2: I went to Pomona College out west in California. Okay. The Claremont Colleges.
1: Okay. So you like majored in photography or just kind of studied it?
2: I majored in fine art.
1: Cool. So you had all the studio painting and all that stuff, I guess, as well. Yep.
2: I did um, mostly drawing and ceramics um, and some video.
1: Nice. What was your favorite, like, not photography discipline?
2: Um. Favorite photography discipline? Just
1: besides photography, like painting, drawing, like what was your favorite?
2: Um, I really loved uh, calligraphy actually. Really? Um, yes, there is a lot of, um, you know, brush painting that goes along with it, but there's a lot of discipline that goes with it and there's a lot of relaxation. Um, and I like to get things done really fast, you know, like Done, done, done. Pile it all up, and calligraphy really forces you to take the time in between each stroke to make, you know, something beautiful. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Interesting. Never. Uh, so you actually had a calligraphy class? I don't even. Wow.
2: Um, actually. <laughs> or no. <laughs> not calligraphy class. Oh, okay. I was taught calligraphy um, by my grandfather. Oh wow. Yeah. So this is Chinese calligraphy. Okay. Very um cool. and, and. And I took it throughout, you know, my childhood as something to, um, that I loved and, you know, that where I could connect with my, my culture. Um, but in college, no one taught it. So I actually taught the class. Nice. Did <laughs> get so paid? Yeah. No, it was just uh, something I wanted to do so that, you know, people could learn. But, yeah.
1: um, but yeah. Wow. Interesting. Um, very cool. So... Okay, so when did you start? What years were you starting taking like paid stuff, weddings and such?
2: Um, I start. I actually started getting paid to do events in college. Okay. Um, and I was doing editorial then, and a few events here and there, and then that was back in 2001 when I first started. Um, cool. Getting money for doing doing art, and then now. Um, when i went when i went back to new york after college that's when i started getting paid for weddings so around 2007
1: wow okay um one of the things you know just looking at your work um just going to your site is very obviously you have a very strong brand um with everything that you do uh so i want to talk a little bit about kind of branding um how long did it take you to, I guess, really figure out what your brand was and really kind of define it for yourself?
2: Um, so I never took any you know, marketing classes or design classes and stuff like that. I think I've always had a very sure idea of how I want to present myself and my images to the world. Um, but over the course of designing my own brand, I feel like... I've self taught myself how to brand myself. And, um, and that's simply really just knowing that your brand goes very, very deep. Um, a lot of people feel like branding is the colors on your website or your logo or your font. Um, and for me, really, it's it's not about that at all. It's really your personality. Um, it goes, you know, it goes beyond what what you wear, what you show your albums, all that. But connects really deeply deeply to um, what you say, what you do, your actions, um, how you choose to interact with your clients, which clients you choose to interact with, how you choose to capture those images, how you treat people, whether you respect yourself or not. Um, all of these values and choices, I think, are what I want to infuse my brand with. Um, and so, you know, from my images, which are definitely, um, in some ways, you know, they're very colorful and and happy. And I feel like in my personality, my ideal is to be a happy, generous, kind person. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's something I hold very, very high. Those are the people that I respect the most. Um, so with my brand, it's very clean. It's very simple. It's, it's about the image. And I feel in that way, it allows me to, you know, Spend time showing people that I 'm all about my work and not all about myself, I guess. Um, there's not very much you know speaking on my blog there's not very much writing um, just because I want the images to tell the story and for my clients to take center stage.
1: So yeah, I love all that, <laughs> and I totally agree with you. Um, how long did it take you to figure all that out? <laughs> If you had to self teach yourself all that, yeah, or whatever.
2: I think a lot of it is all was already there, like from the mm. very beginning. Um, but to pull it out and actually be able to tell you that in words, yeah, <laughs> I mean, forever, you know, like I don't think you could have asked me this last year and I could have answered it, the really. Same way. Um, okay, I think actually what really helped me define, you know, or at least explain what it is is uh, forcing myself to talk about it at workshops because you can do things um, you can do things and not know how to explain it but as soon as you're teaching other people you need to start putting those ideas and feelings into words Um, so I think that it was really a big part of me I mean having like a very clean page image focused uh, was something that I knew from very early on you know five years ago but being able to express it in words is something that I only have been able to do recently.
1: Yeah. Has that, um, has that helped you in terms of kind of, uh, just making your business a little more stable over the past couple of years, just being able to mentally communicate it more effectively with it's to clients or just photographers you're teaching at workshops.
2: Um,
1: I know it's kind of tricky. I,
2: I think, yeah. I, think- grown, it's helped me grow. Mm -hmm. Um but in some ways I feel like I've always allowed my images to sell my product. So even if I wasn't able to speak about it, my images would speak about it. Um the only thing I find is that it's easier for me to communicate to other photographers what I do. And I think that's valuable in gaining, you know, success and followers and things like that.
1: Yeah. Um in today's market it just seems that uh you know everything's oversaturated obviously that we this industry that we work in. Mm-hmm. Um so talk about the importance of having a very strong and just really clear defined brand and how that helps you differentiate yourself in a market that's uh just you know confusing for you know especially brides that are looking at the industry and just see like a lot of sameness.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I think going back to what I said about having your brand be who you are and your personality, um, I think it all comes back to trust, whether or not you trust you, who you're purchasing, you know, you trust the product that you're purchasing, um, brand loyalty and all of that. When you really want to talk about like going into the marketing side, you know, creating trust between customers and um, the product is really, really important, not just for for having them buying it in the first place, but to continue coming back and to continue supporting it. So um, having my brand be as you know solid as it is, it reinforces my look and my images, and it really adds consistency to everything that I put out there. So clients, they know what to expect. Um, they know that I can produce certain images under all kinds of different circumstances, and they can take a look my blog instantly and know what I'm all about you know it takes all of the guesswork out of it Um, they can get to know me through just reading a few pages of my blog instead of wondering like I don't know who this person is I don't you know what is this person like Um, they can tell right away and they come to me thinking that you know we're already friends like they already know me so I think having that consistency allows you to to speak to your client before they even meet you. And if you are inconsistent in any way, if if your branding doesn't match up with who you are and what you do, clients are going to come away from your site initially uh, very confused and um, they're not going to know like what to hold on to. Yeah.
1: I mean, one of the things is just looking at your blog um, that is consistent with all the photographers that I tend to either tend to talk to or I tend to look at and see is, you know, they're running a successful business is they have a very defined like brand filter that everything pushes through, you know, Mm -hmm. and they know what that filter is for them, which is unique. Um, And obviously like with your skill level, uh, I know you're shooting like these weddings and you're getting these amazing pictures, but even like at your real weddings, you're not posting a whole slew of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're, you're very specific on the type of images you let people see out there. Um, is that, do you, is, is that just take, I don't know, let's talk about the discipline of doing that um, because it's very tempting to, you know, we get attached to our images and you want to kind of show a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, so talk about that discipline and how that's a Uh-oh. good good thing.
2: Gosh, I mean, maybe it comes from like my harsh Asian background with my parents and the constant criticism growing up. Um, no, but I mean, my parents are so supportive. But I think one of the most valuable things that you can do for yourself, no matter what your, no matter what you know industry you're working in, is be your own worst critic. Um, and I'm not saying like be a hater and and be very depressing all the time. But um, no one else is going to tell you that your work is bad. I mean. Someone might tell you, and honestly, that's a gift, you know, because no one's going to come up to me and tell me, Jen, you know, this image works, this image doesn't work because people are afraid of hurting other people's feelings. And so if you're able to tell yourself, like, look, I could have done better on this. I should have done this with this image. You're only going to get better and better. um, Whereas people who like get tons of praise and constantly think their work is great is going to, they're going to remain stagnant. And even if you're the best photographer in the world, there's always something different you can do, something better you can do. Um, and to, to know that you should be proud of your work, but at the same time, like consistently improve is something that is very important, I think, to, to, to think about all the time. Um, you know, I sometimes, you know, come back from a wedding thinking, oh my God, like, I could have done so much better. And then I get the images back and they're actually pretty good. And then you can feel good about it. But if you constantly critique yourself, you're, you're only going to, you know, allow yourself to learn and be, 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 um, I guess a little more, uh, how do you say accepting of, of, um, doing things in a different way or changing things up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, so Don't be afraid to delete. I I always tell my attendees, like when you get back, call and by call, I mean, delete anything that you think is bad. And I don't mean delete it, like still save it on your desktop, delete it, delete it, like in the (laughs) trash. Because there there are photographers who take pictures of a bouquet and there's eight of the same pictures and all you need is one. And you can delete seven of those pictures And no one is going to notice the difference and there's no reason to keep those photos. So I always say like, give every photo a purpose. And if it doesn't have a purpose, it doesn't need to exist. And that's the way you start out. And then as you start shooting like that, you don't even take the photos anymore that you don't need. Mm -hmm. You, you know, you will it down. Just keep going.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, talking about brand and like brand filter and all that, um, more specifically, talking about the brand filter in, in relation to the images that you choose to show or not. Um, what is that for you? I mean, just looking at your work, I have some ideas of what mm-hmm. type of images you're really looking for. Like but... the
2: images that I choose to showcase a certain wedding to tell yeah. that story, why I choose those images. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so for me, a big part of it is I don't showcase uh, images of family or children. Um, just because I don't like those images being online and, um, I feel like it's just out of respect for family members. Um, so I stick to mostly bride and groom, some bridal party, um, and details of the wedding. So when they see those images, I want whoever is looking to be able to say, I can put myself in that image or I can put my wedding in that image and I can see what, I can see what it will look like. I can, you know, visualize what my wedding photographs will look like. Um, and it's, it's very important to capture their attention immediately, um, with something striking and stunning that where they can go, Oh my God, I want that to be me and then continue it with a little bit of story. So what I, what I do in my mind, and this is something that, you know, changes for every post, but I'll pick my favorite images from the day and they're usually portraits and then mix those in with, you know, details of the venue, but not so much that you see it and you go, Oh. I I see that this is in the venue, that's not what I want, so I don't want this wedding, so I don't want this wedding photographer. So they're more or less generic but very pretty and more reflective of, like, a moment or feeling than, like, uh, an actual place, location, time, date type of thing.
1: Yeah. Um, One of the things I noticed about your work, I don't know if if this is something you recognize or not, um, but you have a very kind of... uh, there's a bit of like a renaissance feel in a lot of your work, Mm -hmm. very painterly type subject matter. Also, I mean, compositions as well, but also just the lighting and the subject matter, like it feels, yeah, like an old renaissance painting almost Mm -hmm. in a certain way. I mean, is there anything with that that like, do you look at paintings from back then or is there some sort of influence from you from that time period or just, is it just the romance of all that?
2: Um, I have had a lot of people say that my photos look like paintings or watercolors and I love that. I love that description. It's so Mm -hmm. cool. But um, I think probably because I learned composition through studying art history, you know, Um, my entire art career has uh, been filled with art history and studying art from the very basics from like the Venus of Willendorf to, you know, modern day paintings and sculptures and, and honestly, the old masters they are unbelievable at composition. You know when someone spends uh months painting one piece, it's very different than taking a quick snapshot. Um, those have to be very thoughtfully produced. Um, so I think my eye just naturally gravitates towards compositions like that, towards images like that, and that's what I try to recreate whenever I look through my lens.
1: yeah, do you get the Jose Villa comparison a lot?
2: Yes <laughs> <laughs> I do. actually the other day um, someone said that and they were like, you're like the Jose Villa of the East And I was like no Jose's the Jen Huang of the West. Uh, but, you know I, I'm kidding. I mean he's funny. he's unbelievable. I, I, I love his work. I, I think I look up to him and um, and'm I'm, I'm really glad that we know each other and have spoken. I think that he's a very kind person and you know he's a really good example of people who succeed based on the fact that they're just nice and obviously very talented but also very nice and down to earth yeah yeah
1: yeah i mean when yeah when i when we did the podcast he was very um yeah he was he's was exactly he was all that you know mm-hmm. um you know you can tell that he keeps his privacy but he uh but he's very approachable at the same time yeah very uh very graceful kind of a spirit you know
2: Definitely.
1: Very good spirit. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you're interesting a little bit because you, you're one of the few I know that are really like hybrid film digital.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, I guess talk about why you're hybrid and then how you balance that logistically on like a wedding day, because I've started doing that this year. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm kind of new at that. Um, I love it, but I'm, I'm just, I'm totally, I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. You know?
2: Yeah. um, So I've always been hybrid. Um, I mean, before digital cameras, obviously it was film, but after digital cameras came to be my first digital camera was, um, the fifth, uh, you know, I don't even remember. It's the Canon something or other, but now I shoot on the Mark two. And, uh, it seems very intuitive to me. And I've had assistants watch me work, um, for the sake of seeing how I do this hybrid mix, and they always come away saying like, "I don't even know when you changed," you know, like I don't know when you chose to do things. Everything's very seamless and very calm. Um, and I think it's just you know I feel that digital captures some images better, and film captures some images better. Um, and there's there's a place for both. Um, I don't. So you shoot film, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I learned on film and then I got away from it for like five years and then I'm, I was hundred percent digital and then I'm coming back to it this year. So,
2: okay. So like, for example, there are times when film is amazing. Um, when there's no light around and you want to get a color image, um, you can open up that, you know, you can open up the F stop and up the ISO to 6400 on your Canon and get a, a remarkable photograph that you could never do with film unless you had a tripod for hours. And at a wedding, you just can't do that. You know, you can't set up all those shots the same way as you can with digital. Um, You know, I do lots of long exposures on film when I'm off on my own doing travel, but at weddings, it's a completely different world. Um, And I'm all about capturing the best shot for the client at the time in the situation that I'm in. Um, So I usually carry two cameras, the contacts and uh, my Canon 5D, and I use same lens the 50 on the Canon and the 80 on contacts um, and I have a little spider holster where it just rests on my hip and I can just sort of change them out really quick um, and I'll just make a decision based on the lighting if it's super harsh light or it's got that beautiful you know Southern California glow I'll shoot on film um, if it's cloudy I notice that digital tends to get really great saturated images in cloudy situations and film does not um, so just depending on what situation is it is, I'll, uh, I'll I'll choose different things.
1: How do you balance? My initial reaction is um, just balancing your exposure throughout the day because with digital you can really play through like you know you could be at six thousand four hundred and then forget to turn it back down. <laughs> yeah. You know, so
2: with digital exposure, I do it all manually, um, and I have basically at this point I just know. By heart, what exposures are supposed to be in certain light situations, um, and you just have to kind of uh, recognize the lighting situation by eye, which you can do. Like I could shoot a whole wedding on film without using a light meter at this point. You just know after a while, like this is going to be one sixtieth, this is going to be one two fiftieth, you know. Um, and digital is very much the same way. Um, I have my settings. At a point where I can go outside into the sunlight and go, okay, um, it's really bright. I have to be at F100 at 1 8,000 of a second. And then, you know, it's going to be Kelvin 5,600 or 6,000. And so all of these things that I'm changing in my head just go straight to my fingers and I do it very quickly. Um, whenever I'm in a new situation, I quickly adjust Kelvin ISO temperature, uh, sorry, um, shutter speed and all of that within, like, two seconds and then continue shooting. So you just got to know it. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then you have an assistant, I guess, that changes with, like, the film and helps kind of handle that, I would assume.
2: Nope. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. I have an assistant, and they're really just there in case oh. I feel over or something. Um, I my <laughs> assistants, their job is, is seriously, like, to just follow me around in case something happens. Um, and they might hold something for me, but I do all of my film uh, back switching and all that by myself. I actually hmm. only use one film back and I just switch out the rules. Um, and I still shoot 220. I have a lot of 220 left. Uh, but I take the time to change the film in front of my clients because it gives them a chance to just relax. Um, and I find that, like, for me, like, at one point, John Candless shot, shot me and it was so fast. And then he went to change his film um because it was just at a workshop so you didn't have assistance and i loved like having that just one minute to myself Hmm. um it really doesn't take that long to change film you know it's not like a five minute process so you give them a break breathe and then think about your next move and it's it's beautiful yeah
1: nice uh kodak i'm assuming or use fuji on the film okay because I know those 220 options are getting smaller.
2: <laughs> I know, I know, they are. I shoot a lot of 160S still. Um, okay. And uh, I have tried Kodak, and uh, um, and I, I'm open to shooting that too, you know.
1: Yeah, so. cool. Uh, obviously, another thing looking at your work is your portraiture and mm-hmm. um, your strength in portraits. So just guiding people and interacting with people, is that something that you just learn through just experience or – did you have any help with that?
2: Yeah, um, I have to say, experience is a big part of it. Um, I was actually very, very, very shy when I first started shooting. Um, you know, like hiding behind things, using you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not. I was not the Paparazzi, I will, tell you, yeah. yeah, tell you what to do. Um, and now, you know, I'm much more hands-on, and I find that you know. It takes a lot of time to get over it. I have a lot of assistants who are still getting over it. Um, but you, I turn into a totally different person when I'm shooting. You know, at a party, I'll be the one standing by the fruit punch, like snacking on something. But at a wedding, I'm there in front of everyone telling them exactly what I want them to do. Um, just because I'm so, you know, into getting that photo that I want to get. So um, I'll go up and give them a lot of direction, um, tell them what to do, where to Put their hands. Every photo that I create in a portrait is something that I've kind of put together um, in some way. You
1: know. Yeah. Do you got any uh, quick little tips? You know, people that are struggling with it, like, ah, oh, I do this little thing and it helps or whatever.
2: Yeah. Um, so I would say definitely make people get closer than you or they are comfortable with. Um, you know, If you if they are a little bit too far apart, there's this disconnect that happens between people. So one thing I would you know suggest is go in and like force people to get closer together, Um, and then they'll kind of settle into this very nice comfortable pose. Um, And also take your time. Um, I know that for a lot of shooters when they first start out, they get very very nervous about like what am I doing after this? What's the next pose? What's the next pose? And um, that's not really what it's about. You have to give people time to settle into a pose, and that's how you get that natural look. Otherwise, you know, then it looks posed. So if you're gonna put a bride and you're gonna put her in the lap of her groom, you can't just plop her there and then decide to take the picture. You've got to like let her get into a comfortable position, let him move around because they're very stiff and you know, they're not just hanging out. They think they're being photographed. So you've got to go in there and like shake them up a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love your philosophy about allowing kind of space, a bit of a breath in through a photo shoot, uh, which is good. A lot of, I think a lot of people rush through especially the digital, it's just like machine gun for like five hours. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Obviously, one of the other things that you do that's uh, an important role for your brand, and you do this at workshops and stuff, but also is just um, doing some of your styled shoots. Mm-hmm. So, talk about like why you do those and what role those play in kind of building building your brand and getting, I guess, the word out about what you do.
2: hmm Sure. Um, so, I I think that a lot of people feel styled shoots gets them clients, um, and you know, if you're published, whenever you're published online it always gets you some kind of hit and i I think that's good but styled shoots for me is mostly to keep myself uh inspired um and to also connect with vendors um which i find is a very important part of the industry for me um you know as a photographer you're self-employed you don't have co-workers really um so your co-workers are going to be the rest of the wedding industry you know they're your co-workers Um, And when I am able to connect with a vendor or shoot something beautiful for someone that works in the wedding industry, and we all have the creative freedom to do whatever we want, that, that just creates this beautiful partnership that turns into not only fantastic friendships, but amazing references for weddings later on and better weddings in general, because you guys start forming teams and, you know, going out there and creating beautiful things at a wedding and not just at a shoot. Mm-hmm. So I, I find that inspiration shoots are much more so for my own social life and sanity than it is for going out and, you know, getting clients. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would imagine, and, and I know some people that do style shoots, they do it a lot for that reason in terms of um, the networking aspect. And it allows mm-hmm. them to talk, you know, if you know who like the high-end florists are, or your cake makers or whoever – then allows you to kind of get access in, into those people and mm-hmm. they can maybe trust you a little more uh, when they refer you out or whatever. Yeah. Uh, with venues exactly. and such. Um, yeah. It's kind of a random question, but uh, what's your policy on like you shoot a wedding and then you like all the vendors are wanting photos? Are you just like, oh, here, take them all for free? Or do you have like kind of a policy of how to handle that, you know?
2: Yeah. They can take them all for free. (laughs) I always share them with vendors. Um, I don't charge for photos for vendors. Um, I just find that uh, if I were a vendor and a photographer were to give me their photos for free, that photographer would be on my good list, you know, for, for the rest of my life. I, I don't think it costs me anything to, to give it to them for free. Um, I've already been paid for the wedding and And honestly, I don't think if I charge someone that they would necessarily pay for it because it's just, you know, people want to have that connection. They want to have that change and and they want to, you know, create this partnership. And if you're charging them, you immediately strike up a client relationship with someone that didn't necessarily ask you for your services.
1: Yeah. Um, This is another random thought. Um, It seems like, because a lot of people get this and they just... um, and you might do this too, but you get an email from whoever. And then so, and I've done it in the past where I just email photos out. You know, yeah. like, oh, yeah, sure, here's the email. Um, but I would think that that would also be like if you really wanted to push building the, uh, relationships with other vendors, that you could use that as an opportunity to kind of over deliver, um, doing more than sending an email, whether it's like a, a package, something in the mail or whatever, or like a physical print of something um do you do any of that or have you ever done anything like that that's a little more over the top versus like hey here you go
2: yeah um i mean a lot of the time you know if i have people that i really enjoy working with or that you know really went out there and and did something amazing i i'll send them their prints or you know um proof prints and things like that just so that they have it um i just think it's a great representation of like my passion because yeah i'm a photographer and they know that because they have pictures but what else is part of my photography you know uh job like i think a part of it is really creating that experience for people and to be able to share it is uh you know through prints is something that would just make sense you know it's part of
1: the whole experience so why weddings for you because and I asked Jose this but you know yeah. a lot of people I see they're so talented and it's like they could really push into other genres but they really kind of stick to their one thing um so I'm just curious what that is for you because everybody has a bit of a different wrinkle with it
2: hmm. interesting um so for me honestly I love the community aspect of it um I love being able to service uh, a couple and a family much more so than a product or a model or a line or something like that. Um, you know, they—it's—it's it's just a totally different feeling being there with with a family and shooting that moment and that day than it is shooting a product shoot that happens every couple of months or something. Um, you know, you end up creating the images that their great, great kids look at or have on their wall. Um, and not only that, you end up creating a community of brides and families that um, support your work and, um, you know, like have included you in their family in some way. You're on some, you know, you're there on someone's special day. Um, I have brides who I've shot from years and years ago who still follow my work Who still keep me going um who keep me updated on their lives and that is you know they're they're paying me to do work but I feel like I'm getting the gift in in the long um so I just adore that kind of interaction with people it's very intimate um and it's very uh it's very special um I don't enjoy doing fashion shoots I don't like working with models um You know, it's not, uh, it's not something that that's enjoyable for me as much as weddings are. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, let's see pricing structure for your wedding. So something I'm always interested in is Mm -hmm. are you package based or are you kind of more like an a la carte structure, complicated, like super simple? Like how do you kind of roll?
2: (laughs) Um, I am very simple, but I have several packages. Um, and I start with hours, you know, hours it creates the basis of my package. Um, just because I think that, uh, as a rule, the most valuable part of a photographer is their time. Um, so I start out with very simple, just hourly, you know, four, four to seven hour packages. Um, and then slowly from there, I'll have a few packages that add in an engagement shoot or a few albums. Um, And I always, I always tell my clients to go for the most basic package. Um, and then move up from there if they want to. Um, because I feel that the most basic package covers everything that they need. They, all they really need is your time to be there and then the high-res rights, uh, and images on disc. Um, you know, those are the bare bones that that's all you need. And from there you can decide whether you want to do albums or add other things. Um, and I, I've just designed my packages based on how I would want to find a photographer and book a photographer. I would want someone to come for a few hours and give me all the images. And so that's, that's what I recommend to my brides. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, one of the things that I've like personally struggled with and I've had conversations with other photographers is, um, and I've seen this kind of within the industry, like other people are struggling with it in terms of like, They really want to have their clients have, like, a physical print or a physical product at some point because it feels like it's more special. They feel like if they – they're afraid that if they get the disc, they're not really going to print it out. It's going to get buried somewhere on a drive. They're not really going to look at it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that's, like, not a – every photographer has their own personal preference on that. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, is that something that's, like, for you that's important or is it something that's just – you kind of leave it up to the couple – for the most part?
2: Um, I leave it up to the couple. I mean, I definitely give them proof prints so that they do have something that's printed out. Um, You know, that's something I feel is lost in the digital age. Mm. Um, But in terms of albums and books, because they are rather expensive, that's not something that I push on them initially. It's only after they've seen it and really want it that I would say, okay, I think this is a good fit for you to have this. Um, And I I think, you know for myself, if I wanted to have an album, it's something that I would want to think about a little bit later. Um, especially when you're planning a wedding, there's all these things you could be adding, you know, with every vendor, you can add all these things. And I feel like if they could just get the basics early on, know that it's all set, then later on they can think about, you know, the overall experience.
1: Yeah. Do you have kind of like a a policy in terms of like, six months or a year after the wedding, you kind of touch base with your couples to kind of see if they're interested in an album or is it just kind of more organic in terms of who gets one and who doesn't? It's
2: pretty very organic. Very okay. um, I'm not a follow upper when it comes to people who aren't enthusiastic about something. Yeah. So if someone contacts me about a wedding or an album and they're not that enthusiastic, I'm not going to follow up. I'm pretty sure that if they wanted me, they would, you know, email me back.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, what uh, what's a good what's your kind of best business tip for somebody that's like starting out? I guess.
2: Um, make your mistakes really, really quickly and, <laughs> and learn from them. <laughs> yeah, I just think the worst thing is when you make slow mistakes and consistently make mistakes. You know, that's what really kills a business. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mistakes are really, really helpful. It's not like you shouldn't make them, but you know, learn from them quickly, make them quickly, and then move forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is hard because, uh, you know, especially like in an economy in such a saturated market, people are, uh, they tend to be risk averse, you know? Right. But, uh, so it's interesting that your advice is kind of be like, just jump (laughs) off the cliff (laughs) and make a bunch of mistakes and you'll be better off for it.
2: Throw yourself in the water and, and, and learn to swim kind of thing.
1: Yeah. 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 A lot of people, uh, and I've, I've done this too and I still do sometimes. It's just like when you do make a mistake, you tend to beat yourself up for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think that's one of the things I'm interested in is people that people like you that have done, have a bit of an extended history with photography before they jumped into the business side of it. Mm-hmm. If that was a very, if that was, if that time period allowed you to make a bunch of those mistakes before you jumped into the business, cause some, so many people just jump in nowadays. Right. Um, did you, did that help for help at all well, or was it, you really had to just start the business to really make the mistakes you needed to make?
2: Well, I think one of the smartest things I did was to pay for my equipment and everything that I needed as I was working. So I never took out any loans or anything like that. Um, and you know, my parents are, you know, they, um, they actually immigrated from, from China. So in an immigrant family, you don't carry debt. That's, that's something that we were taught from a very young age is, you know, you don't take out a debt. If you're going to do photography, you're going to book yourself, you know, maybe buy a camera, but then book yourself enough work that that you pay that off before you move on to the next thing. Um, and I think, you know, in our oversaturated market, yes, it's oversaturated, but it's oversaturated with a lot of not so great things. Yeah. And so, you know, Um, you have to know, you have to separate, uh, the good from the bad. Yeah.
1: Um, quick, uh, or yeah, just a basic question on creating your portfolio. Mm -hmm. Um, what kind of tips do you have for people to maybe create that brand filter for themselves? If they don't know what that is, they need to push their images through before they show to the public. What are some tips you have for people to kind of create a, a good image portfolio?
2: Um, well, I would say maybe give yourself like a limit of photos that you can post for wedding. Um, you know, for me, sometimes it's hard for me to find even enough photos that I think are worthy to, Mm -hmm. to post. And for other people, they're posting three of the same, you know, over and over um, so maybe if, if you gave yourself a limit of like 20 photos per wedding that you're allowed to show, then from there you would really have to start making those decisions, you know, about, um, which photos are going to make the cut and which aren't. And then from there you'll learn more about, you know, uh, how to curate your own portfolio.
1: Yeah. It even seems like for you, it seems even more specific cause it's not, um, you know, if, even if somebody dumb thinking did like a top twenty. Within that top twenty, you could have a pretty wide range, yeah. of images. You know, certain getting ready yeah. shots that really show the,
2: uh, the, the yeah. room. Or you whatever. would want, to-
1: um, because your work is very, it's it's very tightly composed. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said, you don't have like the family and certain things, so you have certain rules already that you kind of tickle off that prevents some images. But even when you have like, Oh, this is a really great image, but I need to keep it private. Um, having that type of really fine tuned decision making, I think it's hard to develop for a lot of photographers. Self editing is like, yeah, self
2: editing. Yeah. It's very difficult. Um, I mean, you can also like what I do is I have a certain way of telling a story. And, you know, I like to have a few detail shots spread out. I like to get pictures of the overall venue or like a close up of a flower, which I pretty much take at every wedding with like some random flower photo. Mm. Um,
1: you like flowers. <laughs> that's definitely a, like a brand <laughs> thing for you.
2: I mean, I'll tell people that it's very cliche, but I really like flowers. You know, yeah. I, I'm a regular flower photographer, but. Um, <laughs> But if you have a system of telling a story, then it might make it a lot easier for people to um, not only see that you have a consistent way of telling a story on your on your blog, but also make it easier for you to say, all right, for every wedding that I shoot or every event that I shoot, I'm going for this kind of storyline. And then from there you can pick photos that fit into that, you know, tale.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very good. Um, last thing kind of, here at the end is obviously I'm super excited to have you part of the museum gathering, um, completely honored. Uh, so I guess just talk a little bit about why you kind of got involved and then what you're going to be talking about on the workshop you're going to be doing.
2: Sure. Well, um, honestly, I feel that, uh, it would do everyone a big favor if, if, um, if the wedding industry just like took it up a notch, you know, I think there's a lot of people just kind of paddling around, not knowing where they're going. And there's um, there's the stigma of being a wedding photographer and people see you as like being very cheesy and having nothing else better to do kind of thing. And uh, there's also the stigma of being like a momtographer where you pick up a camera and you start shooting shooting events. And I think it's necessary to end, end that and really start focusing on the fact that wedding photographers and and portrait photographers can really bring like a a major, a major revolution to, to, the industry. Um, and I, I love that you've taken charge of that and your, your whole, you know, philosophy is really choosing photographers that focus on craft and not just selling, uh, a trinket or selling actions or, or stuff like that, you know? And, um, and I love that. I love that it's all about creating individual good images, um, and I want everyone to start challenging each other. I think it's important that photographers stop following each other and start challenging each other. You know, mm. come out with a better shoot than whoever, come out with a better idea and instead of copying and doing the same thing over and over again. So that's you know what I would, that's what I want to hear at, at Musea, and that's what I want to convey and teach as well.:
1: Awesome. I love that, though, the uh, challenging not uh, copy thing. That's awesome. So, uh, very not like
2: cool. in a mean way, you know, but like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's cool. I'm going to go do this thing. Look yeah. how cool this you
1: know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's – I mean, it's healthy. It's like a – I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, it can get negative, you know, also, but um, – I think there's a reason that like people like athletes and certain things are so good at what they do is because there's a, a certain level of competition and the bar is at a certain level and they have to get there or they're not – or they can't be in the game. You know, Like you can't right. be in the NBA if you're not at a certain level. You just – you can't. And so, uh, so I, I kind of get that where there's – you need a, a certain level of standard uh, thrown out there and that can be held up. That you kind of uh, can reach for, and and you kind of encourage each other, I guess, in a way too. Yeah. Um. Uh. And that's you know done through education and um. You know, inspiration in a lot of ways. So.
2: Yeah. Totally.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Sorry, that's my computer.
2: Oh, that's okay. Okay. I don't know if you can hear it, but my French bulldogs are snoring in the back, so. No. (laughs) Awesome.
1: (laughs) Very cool. Well, thanks. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I really appreciate all your input. Um, That was very helpful for me, and I think a lot of people are going to get a lot lot of really good practical information out of that. So thanks so much.
2: Yeah. Awesome. You're welcome. Thank you. Cool.